Okay, so I'm going to share just a little bit of scripture and then a testimony and kind of tie it together. So hopefully it makes sense. So I was just reading this passage of scripture this week and it really just struck my heart and I just wanted to share this to encourage you guys. If you want, you can turn to Second Kings chapter 6. I'm not going to, I'm going to just very briefly like explain what's going on, but Second Kings chapter 6, uh, Starting in verse 8, 8 through, it's a passage of 8 through 23 is the passage that I'm going to reference. But basically, the, um, the king of Assyria is going to be coming against the Israelites. And so he takes his army and they start to march down and they're surrounding the Israelites. And, um, and so Elisha's servant gets up early in the morning and he looks outside and he sees this army surrounded against them. And he says in uh, verse 15, it says, when the servant of the man of God arose early, went out, the army was surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, alas, master, what shall we do? So here he is like, oh no, what are we going to do? And so Elisha answered, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of chariots and horses of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And so I just love this part of this of the scripture because, you know, here the here you know the Israelites are pretty much like asleep, and this army is camped around them, and Elisha's servant is afraid, and but Elisha says, first of all, counsels them, do do not fear, and he he made this faith statement. He said, there are more that are with us than that are with them. And, um, you know, and so Elisha had this, this faith, this understanding of the spiritual realm. And then he prayed into that. He said, Lord, open this guy's eyes so he may see it too. And then he opened, then the Lord opens his eyes and he sees that there are chariots of fire and horses that are surrounding them. There's angels that are literally released and we're going to be fighting against, um, the Syria, Syrians for the sake of the Israelites. And, um, anyways, I just was thinking about that. And I feel like the Lord was just calling me and also the body of Christ. I feel like he's always calling us to new heights. But like I feel like we need to focus more on the revelation that there's so many more, so much, so many more beings, I should say, that are for us and with us than are with then are against us. So there's hosts of heaven, um, you know, angels and things that we can't see that are fighting for us, that are being released. You know, when we pray, there's angels being released. There's protection from, uh, from heaven. There's, you know, protection of sicknesses and finances. And so there's so much more good stuff that's happening around us than there are, are the bad stuff. So the Elisha's servant was tempted to just look at the army that surrounded him, but then his eyes were open and he saw, wow, there's so much more going on that I don't even see. And so like my heart and my prayer this week is like, Lord, I want to see that you are truly like the Lord of hosts, which means the Lord of the angel armies. There are things happening that we don't see that we just take for granted all the time. And so I'm going to share a quick testimony along with that. And I'm going to kind of relate that. So I've been really wanting a Fitbit watch. And I don't think I've even prayed about it, but like I've been wanting it and I'm not the type of person that just goes splurges for myself. And so I never, I never told anyone about it. It's just this hidden desire that I'm like, I'm not going to tell my husband cause I don't want him to buy it for me. And, and, um, but I, I want one, you know, it'd be cool. Like, and so I, um, I got like this, uh, Cheerios box. And on the back, it says, win a Fitbit watch, enter this code. And so I go online and I was like, okay, Lord, I feel inspired. I entered the code and lo and behold, it said you won. And I was like, wow, like, I hope this isn't a scam, but it came in my, in the mail this week. Boom. (laughs) And so I was just thinking like, Lord, you are a God that sees my heart and provides and blesses us. And there's things happening that I might not even recognize. Like who knows if God 
might have sent an angel from heaven to move that Cheerios box to the front of the aisle so that the the Walmart associate who's helping out with the grocery online pickup puts that item in the car and then carries it to my van and then I take it and I feel inspired by the Holy Spirit to open that to look at the box and be like wow maybe I should try to enter which I like never do that kind of stuff and so I just am saying this to like I just realized that there's so much happening that we might not even realize that the Lord like the Lord saw my desire and he's just like, I want to bless you. And so he's like, I'm going to, you know, send an angel to move that up front and inspire your heart to enter that code. And I got, it's a hundred dollar Fitbit watch and it's really awesome. So I just want to share that because I feel like so many times as believers, we can buy into that negative narrative and look at all the, t- all the times that the enemy attacks us with fi- financially or health wise or relationship wise. But like, there's so much more going on that's good around us that I'm like, I want to see the good that's going on around my, around me, around all of us. And I don't want to just buy into the negative narrative, even though we want to realize and recognize that you know, there's definitely wars going on, but I want to see like the good that's happening. And so that's just my testimony. Thank you, honey. (laughs) Yeah. Don't put God in a box. So I tried my favor to get a Fitbit and I did not win and so have my wife pray for you if you're wanting to be blessed I tell you what she just the Lord really likes Mandy he loves all of us we're all his favorites but I tell you what he likes Mandy she gets a lot of stuff like that it costs zero dollars I mean I think Cheerios Cheerios is probably going to send us coupons for the rest of our life but hey they have our number and they have our address. So, <laughs> hey, I mean, it's it's not gambling if you don't spend money. So, what, you know, just try it. Um, another cool thing that happened to you, Mandy, you could go on and on just probably this week. But Mandy was at discipleship last Saturday uh, with women's discipleship. She does once a month. And a family randomly shows up, a mom, a dad, and a 12-year-old girl, and proceeds to tell Mandy that um, they said, we only go where the Holy Spirit tells us to go. And he told us to come here tonight. And he told us to say to you to keep going. (laughs) And Mandy's just like, oh, we're trying to do women's discipleship. Thank you. (laughs) Ah. But I mean, there's just so many cool prophetic things that just keep happening. And the grand theme is like, I love you. I'm motivated to bless you because I'm your dad, I'm your father. Keep doing what I ask you to do. And that's the word for all of us. Life gets hard, finances get tight, we get sick. But the Lord just says, keep doing what I told you to do. It's going to be worth it in the end. And the payout is huge. When we get before the Lord and he says, you actually were faithful, well done, that payout's huge. So I want to just be faithful to the end. Uh, Mandy, thank you for being amazing. Because she has so many dreams, the Lord encounters her, and then I get encouraged. So, okay, I better go to the message here. But, uh, okay, it's all part of the message. (laughs) Well, Lord, we just thank you for all that you're doing and all that you're speaking. And just thank you for this time of uh, worship. And uh, and now we go to your word. And, and Lord, I just, as I prayed earlier, I, I just ask that you would... Uh, Holy Spirit, just teach us truth tonight. Uh, set our hearts free in a deeper way and, and just cause us to love you more, God. Uh, give us a greater love for your word. Uh, Lord, it's not just any other book. It's the very things you have spoken and want us to know so that we can live for Jesus passionately and uh, devotedly. So Lord, just uh, give us those ears to hear tonight. Help me as I communicate Uh, to share what you would say, not just what I would say. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, flip over to the book of Nehemiah or open it on your smartphone or look at your notes. I'm going to read some of the text from my Bible, but um, we're going to close our series on studies in Nehemiah. Some of you have heard all five chapters and some of you have uh, just heard this, this one tonight. 
um, I mean, I'm sorry, all five sermons. But this is part five of our studies in Nehemiah, and I'm calling this one Celebration and Separation. It's the final two chapters of Nehemiah. And incidentally, this is actually in the chronological sense, the close of the Old Testament. Uh, Nehemiah and Ezra and some parts of Chronicles are not situated toward the end of the Old Testament, but this is, in essence, the final move of God where Israel returns to the land. There's a revival amongst all of those who've returned. There's about 50,000 people. And then the Old Testament essentially ends, and there's a 400-year gap before the New Testament begins. And so it's, it's really cool that God would... S- in essence, say at the, at the closing of one covenant, I'm sending a revival. And I'm going to revive my people because that needs to last for four generations, uh, actually more because it's 400 years, before the, uh, the dawning of the New Testament, which is John's ministry. And then obviously the Lord steps onto the scene and says, I, I have a new covenant uh, in my blood. And so this is a really epic story and narrative to get to know. Uh, If you want to go over parts one through four, again, they're on the internet, uh, on our website, gphop.org. I've got notes. And these are just the minimal notes. I mean, I just try to squeeze it onto one page uh, just so I don't overwhelm folks. But I love, like, reading the Bible, studying it, and putting notes on it. And my heart really in teaching every week is, is so that our community, number one, learns the Bible and relearns it and continues to learn it, but then also we have personal application to our life. So I'm trying each week to give, here's some Bible, and then here's how we can connect it to real life. That's just, that's my heart. And I feel like if I do that for a lifetime, I will have uh, somewhat successfully discipled a few people. So that's kind of the main thrust. Uh, So let's go to uh, Roman numeral number two, halfway down the notes, or one-third of the way down the notes. And I'm going to skip through all of the intro because I've said it about four or five times now. I don't want to keep saying it. It's good stuff, though. Um, But let's go down to uh, number two, chapter 12. So chapter 12 of Nehemiah. Again, we've just gone through a few chapters describing the revival that suddenly breaks out. They get together in a huge group of people, all of them gather in a, in a big open setting, 50,000 people, give or take, and they read the Bible four hours a day, they worship four hours a day, they repent another few hours, so it's like 12 hours a day conference that they and God just meets them. They rededicate to the law of Moses, which in our language is rededicating to the Bible because they had totally forsaken God's commands. And so now they're saying, we as a nation, we recognize we're back in the land. God fulfilled prophecy to get us here. So we're dedicated to the Bible again. And so there's revival, there's breakthrough, people are happy. And so what do you do when there's revival? Uh, you you dedicate something, you <laughs> you have a ceremony, and they had just finished building their wall, which was one of the significant accomplishments in Nehemiah. So they have a wall dedication ceremony. That's chapter 12. A wall dedication ceremony. It's kind of like, if you think of it, you know, when a business builds a new building and they have the ribbon cutting ceremony and all the executives are there and the community leaders... And, well, we've finished the, you know, the manufacturing plant and it's going to start tomorrow and we're going to cut a ribbon. This is kind of like the ancient biblical way of cutting the ribbon, so to speak. And so, uh, so they're having this huge celebration. And why is the wall significant? Because it's way different back then. If they have a wall, they're safe. People can't just walk right into the village and burn houses down. So it's very significant that they finished this wall. There's a sense of security. In fact, if you go to Israel today, they have a huge wall. (laughs) And so many parts of Israel, you can't just march in. And I lament the fact that the world is in a place where we have to have walls everywhere, but it's just uh, we are where we're at. 
And uh, it was similar then, sort of like, I mean, it's, there's different weapons today, obviously, we understand that, but they had a wall. And uh, so they feel safe, they, there's a sense of national identity, we're the Jewish people, we're back in the land, we're following the Bible again, let's de- dedicate this wall. So that's the thrust of chapter 12. And um, let me just make this uh, on a personal note here. A few things that stuck out to me in this chapter. Because if we read verses 27, let's go to verse 27. Let me read two verses. In verse 27, it says, At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with what? gladness both with thanksgivings and singing with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps see when when revival hit the people of Israel they were so happy this this was not like uh, we're sad we're gonna repent let's just you know cut the ribbon with somber moods Now, there was such jubilation, and there was music, there was dancing. In verse 43, this is one of the neatest verses in all of Nehemiah. I just love this verse. It says they're they're, they're doing all this singing and dancing. In fact, it says the choirs were brought in. I mean, this is just, this is like a festival at the highest level. It says in verse 43, that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, listen to this, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. God made them rejoice with great joy. Well, is God really like, is he into being happy and joyous? And It says God made them that way. He brings them back to the land. He sends revival. And then he puts the spice on it. He puts the cherry on top. He, he allows their heart to be glad. I mean, I just think, wow. A God of joy wants his people to be joyous. And it says, the women, the children, they're rejoicing. Everyone's rejoicing. It says, the joy of Jerusalem was heard far off. There was such a spirit of joy that there were way out in the distance, like, what is happening? It reminds me of the prodigal son story when the older brother was way out there. He's like, there's a party going on. What is that noise? Oh, your brother's back. It is so neat to read throughout uh, Nehemiah this theme of gladness and joy. So let me go to my notes here. Because this was by no means an austere revival. There were smiles, there were hollers, there were songs and jubilation. I mean, this was... I mean, when you have praise choirs, when the Bible says there's praise choirs, have you ever been to a church where there's a praise choir? Dude, if you're sitting, you're like the weird person. If you've never danced or anything in your life, you dance in that setting. I mean, that's just what... you just Your body just jumps out of your seat, man. And that's just what it was like. You know, what's really interesting, because of the revival and the rebuilt temple during this time, it says they, uh, the verse I read in verse 27, they brought the Levites back. The temple service was starting again. Because earlier, David had established an order of worship, which had totally disintegrated when they're in Babylon. Now they're back. They're worshiping in the order of King David again, which means lots of people have jobs in the temple. So lots of people who are unemployed but yet felt called to worship and felt called to be in the temple, but there was no temple and there was no worship. Now they're back. And so, and I, and I, the implications for our day, see, people really feel called to house of prayer. There are many people in our city who feel called to worship who feel called to be an intercessor, who feel called to be in a praise choir at church or house of prayer. And so when the spiritual health of a people increases, it actually opens doors for people to do what they're called to do. And so this place existing 
actually, I get to do my calling because it's here. And there are many other people in our city that I believe they feel this like, man, I, I would really worship more if there was an opportunity or I'd really pray more if there was a people. And the more healthier we get and the more the Lord revives us and the more the Lord blesses his people, those people are going to find employment actually doing what their heart is designed to do, which is a really cool thing. So there is a happiness. God made them rejoice with great joy. That's a verse you want to highlight, underline, star, and meditate on. (laughs) It's just a good verse. And so let me just ask this question, having read that. Do you have a vision, do we have a vision for a glad-hearted Christianity, for a joyous revival, an enjoyable repentance hitting the church? It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. The joy of the Lord is your strength, it says in Nehemiah. Do we have a vision of a God who is glad? Do you connect to any of those questions? Do we have a vision for a, a joyous Christianity? Or is it just do you just view it as drudgery? Yeah, I don't know if I want revival. It just seems like it's going to be a lot of late nights and boredom. A lot of people think of God as mad and sad. They think of revival as boring. And they think of Christianity as drudgery. The reality is that we have a glad God who wants us to be glad. And He wants to send a revival that fills us with joy. And He wants us to turn to Him in a spirit of repentance that's motivated by gladness. That's good news. Jesus wants us to follow Him with with that happiness of heart. In fact, Scripture tells us in both the Old and New Testament that Jesus was anointed with gladness more than anyone. In fact, the Bible says that it was the joy set before him that he endured the cross. There was an actual joy that motivated him. He knew where it was all going. In fact, he'd been there. He came down temporarily to win the victory so we could be with him. But there was something that motivated Jesus to die the cruelest imaginable death and take the sin of the world. It was a joy that was set before him. Meaning, like this water is set before me, there was something he knew that was ahead that motivated him to endure suffering in the cross. I mean, it's one thing to be tortured. It's another thing that the sin of the world, past, present, and future, crushes your soul. I mean, I just there's no way to, to understand that until we get to heaven. But it was, it was undoubtedly the most severe reality we could ever imagine. The sin of my life, the thousands and millions of sins of me and you and all, everybody ever just crushed him on that cross. And, and it, that was the Father's plan. And the Lord took it, and three days later, he was just like a boss, just walked right out of that, that tomb. He's like, guys, I'm real good right now. You don't have to be sad anymore. I love the story of the resurrection because he goes and he like messes with people and he eats fish and he's like, I'm real. Anyway, that's another sermon. Guys, if you were dead and then resurrected and you could like walk through walls and eat fish and I would just totally spook people. I don't know if that's what motivated him, but I would. I think it'd be funny. Okay, moving on. So let's sign up for this. You know, we're talking a lot about revival. We're talking about all these things. Let's sign up for, I want joy to be in the discussion because it's, it's in God's discussion. There is no being full of the Spirit and anointed without joy. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness. You take joy out of Christianity, all we have is legalism and religion. Joy is like the oil. Gladness is like the oil. And if we don't have it, I mean, there's a lot of days I don't have it, but I pray for it. Lord, it's, it's there. We should have it. So I ask for it. I just think it's so interesting. It says in Scripture, God had made them rejoice with great joy. So I prayed today, and it's a good prayer. Lord, make me have this joy in my heart because I know it's the fuel for the long haul. Okay, the second application I want to make related to chapter 12 is this sense of community. 
and personal responsibility that we see in this chapter that everyone felt. Like I said earlier, there was this heightened sense of national identity. Everybody had returned. They're working together on the wall. They're building their homes. They're getting worship in order. They're all clicking together. And again, because they were getting their house in order, the temple ministry was humming. This is so significant. Again, this meant that many people who were to have a career in the temple, a career, so to speak, because we talk about career as what we're trying to do in our work life. There were people called to have a career in the temple. There's There's people called to have a career in ministry in the city uh, whether it's, uh, you know, back then it was the priests, it was the Levites, it was the singers, the worship leaders, etc., etc. The fact that they were healthy again meant that those people could be in the temple. And so let me ask this question. Do you realize, do we realize that our spiritual health does affect others? Our spiritual health affects others. Do we believe this? That when the churches in central Illinois are healthy and going for God, it opens up many doors. I keep stepping on this thing. I got to stretch that. The more we're taking seriously the you know the private pursuit of god the time in the word the prayer the serving the more we're doing the things that we're called to do and the more we're resisting compromise reaching for righteousness letting the lord sanctify us and on and on that actually has an effect on the whole body of christ in our community and beyond. And if we, on the other uh, side of the coin, say, you know what, who cares? Jesus is going to come back one day. I'm just going to live my life. And we start to slip into the the, kind of the attitude of complacency and we just kind of, whatever, that guy compromises, I'll compromise. That takes churches down a level. It takes churches in the community down a level. Things actually grind to a halt. And that means certain people don't have the opportunities they're called to have. I mean, when churches close, I, mean, I don't want to get into a huge debate on this, but when, when, you know, there are a lot of people called to be pastors and singers, and, and my heart is that they would just all have their rightful opportunity to do what they're called to do. You know, there's a lot of people who are believing for revival at their church. Man, I want revival in the whole community because I want all the churches to grow so everybody can find their place doing what they're called to do, whether it's in or out of you know, the, the church setting. You know, we're all called to full-time ministry. Some are in the marketplace. Some are in the four walls of the church, et cetera, et cetera. But, but uh, we, we have to really understand that it's important that we all take this sense of responsibility. I'm a part of the Church of Central Illinois. I'm going to be dedicated to the Lord because I know how I live affects other people. And whether you're, you know, speaking, you know, or on stage or whatever or not, our spiritual health affects our families and our neighbors. And there's just this huge, it, it all affects one another. And so let's let's understand that, you know, just quickly, you know, when Israel had backslidden, the Lord said, okay, you guys are going to Babylon for a while, so you learn a lesson. And, there, you know, the Lord said, I'll bring you back in 70 years. But that was a whole generation. I mean, because they had totally backslidden. There was a whole generation that passed before they were back and revival hit. Man, I don't want to take this approach of just, you know, casual Christianity. And No, I want to, I just... I was thinking about this because we did a revival night last week. <laughs> and the more you get into the revival circle, the more you meet people who are out of the circle and they just they could care less about revival. In fact, they're pretty they're pretty vocal about why you don't really need it. And and here's the thing, the more I reach for whatever revival really is, the less I'm back in compromise land. The more I fight to be up here going for God, talking about revival, putting myself in the middle of whatever I can, the less I'm back here struggling to, you know, whatever. It's like, 
It's like, I'm going to struggle with something. I might as well struggle to be on fire for God. Because I don't want to struggle with ruining my life back here in total compromiseville. Man, I want to come, and, and that's the point. The more we go for it, the more we talk about it, the more we, we ask God for it, the more we're just uh, spiritually healthy. And I just don't see Jesus like asking the Father, Father, do I really have to be dedicated? Like he was just all in at the highest level and I want to be like Jesus. Okay, let's, let's go down chapter 13. I love baby sounds in the prayer room. I love kids running around. So... What was the name again? Zariah. Zariah. Oh, bless the little Zariah. Okay. I tell you what, one of the sweetest sounds in this prayer room is little kids and babies. I'm one of those guys, I, I would rather have screaming kids and crying babies. And I just, my rule is we preach louder and we pray louder. If they're louder than us, shame on us, we got to be louder. That's how we're going to do it. I've had people tell me, Derek, if you just get the kids out of here, you know, it'd be better. That's not in the Bible. Jesus said, bring the kids in. I'm going with Jesus. I just don't ever see Jesus being annoyed with kids. I, I got five kids and sometimes they annoy me, but Lord, forgive me. We're all human, right? Chapter 13, this is the final chapter. This is the final reforms that Nehemiah institutes a quick recap of the chapter quick recap of the chapter i have it written down here is at this time nehemiah who had served under king artaxerxes and had been given a leave of absence to help build the wall here in the land toward the east which was jerusalem uh, I'm sorry, the land beyond the river is what it's called in Nehemiah. He was given a leave of absence to go to the land beyond the river, which, which is what we call Israel. And he goes back to Persia for an unstated amount of time. Scholars debate how long it was. We don't know for sure. There's no documentation. But it was, it was potentially weeks and months, or it could have been as much as 10 or 12 years um, we don't know. I don't think it was that long, but there's, you know, the way all the kings line up and the dates that we do have, there was no possible way it was beyond 12 years, but I don't know if he was gone that long. But he leaves um, because he wasn't given a permanent, like, job change. He was given permission to go there, build the wall. He reports back, stays under the king for a while, serves as cupbearer, and then comes to check on how everybody's doing. <laughs> and you know what happens when the leader leaves? People start to fool around. Oh, Nehemiah's gone. Do we really have to be so serious like he told us? And, uh, you know, it just, it is, it, it is what it is when the leader takes off. Everybody kind of is like, ooh, you know, the boss is gone. Party, leave early on Friday. Just things get a little bit more lax. And that's literally what happens. Um, and so he has to come back and kind of go, guys, guys, guys. You're slipping over here. This thing's happening, and he, and so he kind of tightens the, you know, the belt, so to speak, on tithing again, Sabbath observance. He uh, addresses some issues about marriage, and there's just a number of people he had to address. That's the thrust of chapter 13, and uh, it's a neat chapter. I mean, you can read that on your own time, but I do think it's funny. How when the leader leaves town for a while, how things tend to kind of, you know, spiral downward. I mean, imagine your boss leaving for years or your, your pastor leaving for a trip or it just, we just tend to kind of get a little bit lax. And so there's, there's a question, a couple questions I have here to make this personal. Sort of like Nehemiah had to come back and fix a few things and ask people to recommit in certain ways. Are there areas of your life, are there things in your life where you're like, you know, I probably do need to recommit over here. I probably need to shore up this area. Maybe you've been thinking about it for a while. Uh, maybe there's 
one or two areas. I always feel like the Spirit's kind of highlighting one or two areas, not 100 or 200. Some people kind of think God's wanting, you know, all of us to, you know, if you would get those 200 areas right, then I could use you. But interestingly, throughout the Gospels, Jesus usually addressed one or two when he would talk to people. He would address, um, you know, like the rich young ruler. He just spoke to him about the money issue. Um, the uh, the woman who was married like seven times. He just kind of challenged her on the area of marriage. You know, I just that story is so amazing. The lady who is on like her seventh marriage, he sends her to preach. The Lord loves women preachers, and he just that's how it is. That's one of the coolest stories. John four. Go get your husband. I don't have a husband. That's right. The one you have isn't your husband. Ah, you're a prophet. Go preach. Okay. I just love how he does things. Um, so what are some areas? You know, ask Holy Spirit, where can I, do I need to get, you know, in the word or prayer? Or, you know, do I need to be, be more kind? Or what are those areas where you could recommit? You know you're called to. You know you're supposed to do them or not do them. And what, so what are those areas where you could recommit? Maybe there's some compromises that have slipped in. And you're like, well, I don't think the leader's ever really going to ask me. I'm kind of, there's some distance between me and leadership. So maybe there's some compromises that have slipped in. You're hoping nobody will find out about. I tell you what, we're all tempted to go there. We're all tempted to be like, yeah, I haven't seen my pastor in months. I don't think he's ever going to really ask. No, don't. You know, just be honest with the Lord. I mean, we all have areas where we're fighting to be like Jesus, but but let the, the point is not to get condemned. The point is just to keep making war with those areas that constantly want to tempt us. And for some people, that's alcohol. For others, that's um, drugs, maybe even legal drugs that is just a constant source of temptation. Maybe it's illegal drugs. Um, you know, maybe it's uh, something to do with uh, unforgiveness or there could be a hundred different things. Um, but, but let the Lord give you uh, his blueprint, a way forward in those areas. Let's never make peace with compromise. Because here's what the enemy says. The enemy, the enemy says, ah, just give in. It's not worth it. But what he knows And what's in the fine print is five years down the line, it's way worse. The enemy always sells us on, it's not worth it to keep battling in that area. It's not that big a deal. But he, in the fine print of that sin contract, he knows five, 10, 15 years down the line, it's going to grow and it's going to get way harder to fight the next thing. If we just stay in the battle and we keep warring against that compromise, at some point... Breakthrough comes, and it gets a little bit easier to obey, a little bit easier. Oh, we're attacked, but we've been obeying. There's that history of obedience, so it's, we're, we're stronger now. Stay in that battle. Don't, don't, don't just concede ground to the enemy and compromise. It's, it's not worth it. And guys, I've been, doing, uh, I've been following the Lord for 20 years now, and there's a number of seasons where it's just like, I just, I just want to quit. It's just too, the, the assault is too intense. And then the Lord whispers, you know how he whispers, not worth it. You're going to stand before me one day. You know, oh, yeah. You know, so when you're in the intensity of it, it's hard. But guys, we're all in this together. Brothers and sisters, we're one huge family. Let's encourage one another to keep moving toward victory and not compromise. Man, I just, I want to stand before the Lord and just have that well done spoken over me. Man, you fought and it wasn't easy. But you fought. Let's all, let's all do that. Um, as we've seen throughout Nehemiah, I'm just going off my notes again, the best and most God-honoring way to move forward is to just proactively confess our sins, just like they did in the book of Nehemiah. They came to a point in their life where they're just like, God, we're so wrong. Oh, my goodness. We're like sacrificing kids to devils. I mean, you read through the Psalms, you read through the testimony of Israel, they got so far gone, they're like making other gods to worship and sacrificing their kids to demons. I mean, they were just way out there. We think we could never get there. We're like, man, that, that's, that's intense. But we compromise a little here, 
little there, and then all of a sudden we're not following the Lord anymore, and then we're doing something whack. It's just, it, it happens, and so the way we just cut through all of that, it's kind of like the nuclear bomb to our sin as we just confess it to God and to trusted people. There's actually been times in this prayer room, normal night, normal prayer meeting, where people will just come up to the mic, absolutely, I gave no guidance or said nothing, and they would just start confessing literally all of their sins they could think of on the microphone. And whenever that happens in the prayer room, I'm like, that, that's what revival looks like. Is when there's just no shame, there's no hiding, it's just, Lord this, Lord forgive me. That's what they did in the midst of the revival. We need to get more comfortable about being transparent. It's one of the most... It's one of the great fears of today is people just being real with one another. But that's the very thing that creates community. I always tell the story, but I grew up Catholic, and part of growing up Catholic, they made you go to confession. And I think in Protestant and charismatic circles, we should really encourage confession more often. Not to a priest or, you know, but to just to one another. The Bible says, James 5.16 Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you will be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. There's this connection between confessing our sins and breakthrough prayer and physical healing. And how many physical healings and breakthrough prayers haven't happened because we just haven't told people, man, I'm really struggling today. We pray for me. That's the very thing that creates intimacy in friendships and and we just need to be more like that. You know, God honors principles. And every time as a kid, even though I wasn't following the Lord in a salvation sense, I wasn't a follower of Jesus, but whenever I went to confession and told the priest literally every sin I could think of, I would always come out of there just feeling so great, like so light and like such peace on my heart. And it's because... I was doing what the Bible said, even though I didn't know God yet, in, in the sense of knowing Jesus. It's so important that every once in a while, oh, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of like in the computer term, we clear the cache, we just, we, just, we just let it all out. Not every day or week, but every once in a while, we go to someone trusted, maybe a spouse or a pastor or a, a dear friend, and we just say, man, this has been struggle, this I haven't done, this I have done. And, and when, that, when we can overcome the fear of being open, we just have deeper community. We walk closer with the Lord. Our prayer life goes to another level. Lord, help us to be confessional Christians where we're just open. You know, there's the higher you go in leadership, the greater the temptation to be totally shut down and to feel like you can't share anything. Because well, if I share that, maybe they'll fire me and they won't love me and they won't restore me. There's all these things that happen, but you have to be willing to share anyway. That, that truly is the posture of my heart. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to various leaders in the area, and I've, uh, you know, including my pastor, my, the elders at my local church, and various leaders who I felt led to go to, and I just spilled it. I always feel better, and, and there's always a closer connection. And I've gotten a lot of friends confessing sin. So if you feel lonely tonight, consider getting with someone and just saying, here's who, here's who I really am. This is what I struggle with. And often, I would say 98 out of 100 times, you're going to have a closer friend at the end of that conversation. Two out of 100, the person doesn't know what to do. No, let's say one out of 100, they don't know what to do. And another one out of 100, they condemn you because they they've never heard that before because no one's been open to them before. But 98 out of 100, you're good. What if you meet that one out of 100? If you meet that one out of 100, you give them grace, you try someone else. Good question. And I've been the wrong guy to talk to a few times and I've been the right guy to talk to a few. I've learned over time. We all have to learn. But our culture is getting less and less used to full-blown transparency. I mean, I'm willing to tell you this, but I'm hiding this, this, and this. And I, but once we start to confess, like literally 100%, that's when people really get free. 
and, and experience emotional release and, and God in the depths of their heart. Oh man, that could be a whole other teaching, but I got to stay focused. Oh no, how late are we going? Okay, we're a little past here. Sorry to say, man, you preaching so well. <laughs> You're too kind. Let's, let's land this plane here. So we've looked through 13 chapters of Nehemiah. Let's just, a concluding thought here. We have learned so many lessons. I mean, Nehemiah is a book about revival. It's a book about leadership. It's just, there's so many jewels in this vast treasure trove called the book of Nehemiah. But I would say some of the chief lessons are just simply the goodness and the mercy of God. We see at the close of the Old Testament... God brings His people back to the land. He sends revival. He sets them on fire. They're rededicated to the Lord. And and for no reason other than God is good and He's merciful and He loves them. Because they were in a land, they were, the, the whole city of Jerusalem was completely destroyed. Babylon had moved in and now Babylon was taken over by Persia. There was just no reason any good really should have happened. But God says, I've made promises And I love Jerusalem and I love Israel like the apple of my eye. I mean, I I just love them dearly. I've had a lesson that I wanted them to learn and for a generation of of my people to walk through. But now I'm going to bring it all full circle. And so we learn that God, even through profound uh, divine discipline, even through tremendous hardship, he's motivated for the good of his people and for the glory of his name. And though Israel strayed and though we stray, he's looking at the, the, the far end game of how he can win it all back for our good and his glory. I mean, I think of the 70-year plan that he put in place, a, a literal generational plan that he had prophesied in advance that would transpire so that his people would be walking in fellowship with him. And here's the thing, and still have free will. I mean, the way he, he intertwines our free will, his sovereign plan, God's people strayed, he wants to send revival, so he puts all these things in place. It's just truly tremendous. And so we see his heart toward the Jewish people. We see his heart for the church. And we see his heart for us. That though things disintegrate, he wants to bring it all full circle to where at a place where we're spiritually healthy and revived again. It's a really neat story. And what's cool is, again, as soon as you start to go I mean, you know, after Nehemiah 13, in essence, the next page is like Matthew 1 in the Bible. And so he's like, I'm going to set my people up. I'm going to re- uh, revive their heart. I'm going to make sure they're, they're got oil in their lamp, so to speak, because I know there's something coming in just a few more generations. Okay, that's all she wrote, gang. We will end there. We will conclude the study of Nehemiah. And we're going to begin a new study next week. Um, I don't know what I'm going to call it yet, but something like loving Jesus, uh, learning discipleship through the Apostle John's uh, life. And so I'm going to talk about John next week and his journey. And then I'm going to talk about some of the chapters in the book of John. Amen, amen. We'll do a couple questions if you have any. We always do Q&A, and then we're going to end with some worship here. Any questions, anything I could clarify? Or... Any questions, anybody? <laughs> We've got a little one in the back that's very curious. <laughs> Mandy, you got anything back there? Kids, any questions for Dad? Okay. Going once, going twice. Okay. I tell you what, team, why don't you come on up? What we're going to do is we're just going to worship for another 10 minutes or so, and then we're going to, I'm going to kind of come around. Maybe maybe we'll pray 
with each other, but uh, then we're just going to close at that point. So let me pray here. Lord, we're just so grateful for all that you have taught us through your word in the book of Nehemiah. Lord, my heart is stirred. Lord, we just love you. We love your word. Come and revive us, God. As you did in the days of Nehemiah when they built the wall and they rebuilt the temple and you met them. God, do it again. Lord, help us to be those who live according to your word. Father, tonight I'm asking that a a true anointing of gladness would come on our hearts. Lord, your church in our city would walk in joy. Lord, give us that sense of community and personal responsibility that, that we would really seek to live right with you, knowing that it It affects those around us. It affects the church in our city. Give us grace, Lord. Father, we do ask for an extra measure of grace. Any any compromises in our life that we need to shore up. Any areas where we need to recommit to you or things we need to let go of. New ways to view you. Lord, we want to view you as the God who is glad. Because that's who you really are. You're this joyous, celebrating father as we see in that prodigal son story. You ran out the house to meet that son. And you showered him with gifts. Lord, help us to view you rightly. Lord, I ask that you would help us to be a confessional people, Lord. That when we, when we blow it, Lord, we wouldn't be afraid of going to our brother or our sister in Christ and say, hey, will you pray for me? I blew it. Oh, we thank you tonight. Bless your church in this city. Bless Central Illinois. Bless this gathering tonight. In the name of Jesus. Amen. We're just going to take some time to worship. Just want to invite you to just talk to the Lord about what you've heard tonight. And then, like I said, we'll, I'm just going to kind of come around and see who needs prayer. We'll pray for one another.